May we hear from the Lord, right? Remember last week we talked about um, fellowship, the spiritual discipline of fellowship. We saw last week that uh, what made fellowship, the starting, the basis of fellowship, is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw that they were devoted to the apostles' teachings, to the prayers and the breaking of bread. That they were in awe of what God was doing. That they had all things in common. They did life together. The results of fellowship, biblical fellowship, is that they had glad and generous hearts. They were praising God, had favor with the people, and God added daily to their number those who were being saved. We summed it up with a quote from R. Kent Hughes in his commentary, Acts, the Church of Fire, where he writes, Where the Spirit reigns, believers relate to the Word as teaching. Where the Spirit reigns, believers relate to each other, koinonia, that's fellowship. Where the Spirit reigns, believers relate to God, worship. Where the Spirit reigns, believers relate to the world, evangelism. We saw the importance of fellowship of the church, but we cannot have fellowship unless we first have fellowship with God. That's our title for today, the spiritual discipline of fellowship, fellowship with God. I would ask that you would stand with me as you turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. Verses 1 to 4, we'll pray, and then we'll read God's Word. Father, we thank You for fellowship. We thank You that You have fellowship with us, that You have even chosen to have fellowship with us. It's an act of Your mercy and of Your grace given to us that You would have fellowship with us. And so, Father, we ask that you would show us all the more how to have fellowship with you, how that we respond to your condescending down to us, to your coming to us and making a way. As the song says, where there seems to be no way, Lord, you make a way. You made a way through your Son, Jesus Christ, for us to have fellowship with God. May we respond by desiring fellowship with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what God says today. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. John, in his epistle begins with the phrase, that which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. We see here five relative clauses. Five relative clauses. The first being that which was from the beginning. And perhaps in your mind you go right to John's Gospel, 
where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. <coughs> well, I'm sorry. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with, was, was with God, and the Word was God. And we say, that's what he's talking about. Actually, that's not true. When he says, that which is from the beginning, John is specifically referring to the incarnate Jesus Christ. That which was from the beginning is the incarnate Jesus Christ, not the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Look at what he says. That which was from the beginning, next clause, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Both of those are perfect tense, by the way. Which in the Greek means is an action completed in the past and having present and future implications. They were so moved by what they heard and what they saw that it affected them. It didn't, it's not stopping to affect them. He says that which we have looked upon. He's not repeating himself because it's a different word. Literally means to observe. That which we have seen, we heard, that which we have seen, um, that which we have looked upon. We've observed his manner of life. We paid careful attention to this person, Jesus Christ. We watched him. We observed his way of life. We've not only observed him, he says, we have touched with our hands. I have physically touched. You cannot physically touch a spirit. You can physically touch flesh and blood. So what John is speaking about here is the beginning of Christianity, of God coming into the world, of God moving in time and space known as history. It is that It is this truth of which the apostles, Peter and John, and even Paul, would go on to say, this is what we proclaim to you. When they were brought before the authorities, Peter says this, for we cannot, Acts 4.20, for we cannot speak of, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. What they have seen and heard, what they've touched is so true. They said, we cannot deny this truth. There's no getting around it. We've seen it. We've heard them. We've touched them. And this is what we're going to proclaim to you. As Paul says, we didn't follow uh, uh, cleverly devised myths. This is concrete. This is real. Jesus Christ really does exist. Jesus Christ really did come into the world as a baby. Jesus Christ manifested himself in time and space. Well, as Peter says in 2 Peter 1, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It's the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter, James, and John were the only ones invited in, and God descended as a cloud, and the glory of God appeared to them, and so did Moses and Elisha. Remember Peter. 
I got a great idea, Jesus. Let's build a tabernacle for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then God interrupts and says, no, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the guy you listen to. Moses and Elijah, they just pointed to him. It says, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven who were with him on the holy mountain. This has been experiential for us. These guys were eyewitnesses of Jesus. Peter, in preaching to the crowds at Pentecost, tells them, you also saw this. The evidence is right here for you, clearly before your eyes. He says, men of Israel, in Acts 2.22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. You yourselves saw what God did. You yourselves saw the power of God. Have you seen the power of God? Can you testify to the truth? Did you see Jesus? No. Did you see the power of God and know that it's true and can't deny it? Absolutely. You know even what the Spirit did for you internally when He converted you. You know that it's true. You know, they say, um, how do you know that that's the one for you when you're going to get married, right? How did you know that she's the one for you or he's the one for you? And what do they say? You just know. You just know. And so it is with the truth of God. You just know it's true. I might not be able to always explain it, but I just know it's true. It's experiential. It's real. Did I touch? No. Did I hear? Absolutely. I know this is true. Throughout history, people have given their lives because it's true. I wouldn't give my life for something that was, well, I'm not really sure. You know, well, maybe. You'd be a fool to devote yourself to something that you do not believe is actually true and actually have proof of which is true, right? The sad fact is many people are deceived and thinking something is true just because they do it on emotions. What John is telling us here, for us, the apostles, this was concrete, this was real. We have seen him, we've heard him, we have touched him. We know that John was the very one leaning on Jesus at the Last Supper. It says the Bible tells us he was leaning on his chest. He touched him. He had affection with Jesus. But Jesus, after his resurrection, told his disciples to make sure you touch me. Let let, let you know this is real. This is not fake. In Luke 24, 39, Jesus says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. I wonder what went through their head. I wonder if they touched. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Matter of fact, it tells us that even when uh, doubting Thomas he said, put your hands here. doesn't record that he did. He just, he just saw him. He said, that's enough. In other words, what John is telling us, that what we have seen is real. What we're attesting to you, what we're testifying to you is nothing fake. Is it any less real for us who have not seen or touched Jesus? No, it's just as real. 
And we need to proclaim the gospel in the fact that we really believe this. This is really true. And we, be, we ought to be able to logically show how it's true. Because God is logical. Above all else, God is logical. He's true. John MacArthur says this, in his record of life and ministry of Christ, John wrote that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ was the God-man, fully divine and fully human. John experienced the reality that his natural, through his natural senses and was a true witness to the incarnation in its completeness. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples how blessed they were to see, hear, and touch Him. He says, for many want it, want it what you have. But Jesus went on to say, you are even, those who go after you are even more blessed because they were able to believe without seeing or touching. Hearing, being transformed by the power of the Spirit. Have you heard the Word of God? Have you listened? Did you let the Word of God transform your heart? Are you hearing it today? If you are, I would tell you, the scriptures say, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hear the word of God. Let it penetrate you. Know that it is real. John says, that which we've seen, we've heard, and we touched, this we testify to you concerning the word of life. Concerning the word of life. And perhaps our minds go right back to John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's not the same word. It's the same word in terms of language. The word logos or message. What John means by the word word is the person and the work of Jesus Christ as proclaimed in the gospel. That's the word. The capital W-O-R-D, that's Jesus. This word is the person and the work of Jesus as proclaimed in the gospel. He says this word of life and then he separates the word of life from the life. He goes, the life was made manifest, verse 2, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So the life here is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Life is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. He always was. He's the self-existent one. He needs nothing and he is made himself manifest to us. John 1, 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John says this life, this pre-incarnate Christ, who always was from the beginning, was made manifest, phanero, to make, to, to make, to make appear or to make visible. It's an amazing thing that God Himself, God who is Spirit, who cannot be seen by human eyes, made a way to be seen by human eyes. That God left His glory above. We just celebrated Christmas. 
The idea that God condescended down to us. Remember last week in evening service, and I encourage you to come to evening service tonight as we continue in Exodus 34. But remember we said on Exodus 34 that, that Moses had to go up to a high mountain. And he, stood, he was there to present himself before the Lord, to stand there at attention and to wait for God to show up. And we noted that even though Moses went onto a high mountain, yet still God, who is so far above us, had to condescend down. I don't care what, you go to the top of Mount Everest. You'll never be closer to God. Unless God comes down to you in His mercy and His grace, you, you'll, never, you'll never meet the Lord. Thank be to God that He has condescended to us, that He has made known to us. And what has He made known to us in Jesus Christ? Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. In Him, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of the grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to the purpose which He set forth in Christ, a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. That the Jesus Christ coming into the world was, as we should know, was the covenant of redemption, now becoming the covenant of grace in time and space. God had a plan, the life had a plan before the world began that He would save humanity, that He would save those who belong to Him. And no wonder in Paul, writing to the church in Galatians, says in Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time had come, the time for God's plan, had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So that He would be a great high priest, able to sympathize with us. Isn't that great that we have somebody that can sympathize with us? It is. But you know what? Jesus is so much more than that. Jesus was born under the law. Why is that so important? Because His own demands. Jesus fulfilled His own demands for us. That's why. I don't have to perform for God. I have to now, as we learned in Sunday school, be a good steward. I have to be faithful. But I can't come to God saying, Hey, man, I, this is what I got. Man, I did this, and I've done this, and I've done that. And man, I really deserve to be with you. No, no, no. He'll say, That's garbage to me. That's nothing to me. God loves us. God loves you. The Word, the life was made manifest. Why? Because God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Do you know that truth today, loved ones? Do you really know that truth? Are you resting in that truth today? Maybe you know it. Maybe you need to be reminded of it. What is our only hope in life and death? I love that. What is our only hope in life and death? Man, I really hope I get this job. I really hope I get this because that's going to make my life better. It may, but it'll make your life better temporarily. 
Your life is so much more than the 70, 80, 90 years that we may get on this earth. Our life is eternal. What is my hope in life, all of life, life after death? That I belong, body and soul, to the Lord Jesus Christ. My hope is found in the fact that Jesus Christ condescended down to me. That the Word, the flesh, was made manifest. And that God let some people, the apostles, the founders of the church, because the church is built on the, on the apostles, the, the pillars of truth and the apostles and Christ Jesus being the, the cornerstone, they were built on that, on these eyewitnesses who saw and testified to this truth that God has come down to mankind. God loves us. He made himself known to us. And God is telling us, just as he said through the Apostle Paul, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's the reason the Son of Man came. Paul, writing to Timothy, says this. Let this, Paul, Timothy, make sure this is part of your ministry always. To remind people of this, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What's the message? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Are you a sinner? Yes, you are. Am I a sinner? Absolutely. Do you need to be saved? Yes. Have you been saved is the question. Have you been saved? Have you been washed in the blood? Have you dipped yourself in the fountain? For cleansing. If not, why? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ came into the world, that He was manifest, He was really flesh and blood, that He died on the cross, and that He rose from the grave on the third day and sent it to the Father, and will one day come back in bodily form to rescue you from the power of sin, or the presence of sin, I should say, and bring you to Himself? You really believe that in His house are many rooms and he's preparing a place for you and he would say to you tell that to your friends and your neighbors I was really convicted by listening to Alistair Begg the other day where he said how many of us would even this night call our friends and our loved ones and say to them I just got to tell you that if you die in your sleep you will go to hell and I want to tell you that God loves you. And I don't want you to go to hell. The apostles were martyred for that truth. They believed it. It was real to them. But through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, it is just as real to us. Do you believe that, loved ones? We should all go right now and go across the street. We should go to our neighbors now and tell them, you know, God loves you. I don't, want to, I don't want you to go to hell. Jesus Christ came into the world. Do we really believe this? He says, this was made manifest to us. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father was made manifest to us. 
Notice how John is repeating himself here. Let me make this clear. The life was made manifest, the pre-incarnate Christ, the plan of God from the foundations of the world was made manifest. We've seen it, we testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He says that, that truth is what gives us true fellowship. John, again, repeats himself in verse 3. That which we have seen and have heard and we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim, we preach also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Right away, he's telling us there's a separation between you and what you have and what I have. I want you to have the fellowship that I have. And indeed, fellowship with us, fellowship with the body of believers, fellowship, going koinonia, an association involving close mutual relations and involvement. John MacArthur writes this, It is far more than a mere partnership of those who have the same beliefs and are thus drawn together. Rather, it is the mutual life and love of those who are one in spirit. Anybody can join an organization. Anybody can join a club. You can, join the, you can join the Rotary Club, you can join the Elks, you can join the Lions Club, you can join, not necessarily that they're bad things. You can, if you're veterans, you've got veterans organizations, not bad things necessarily. Masonic Temple, yeah, absolutely satanic. Um, <clears throat> and you can have a fellowship, you can have a friendship with people. But it only goes as deep as the beliefs that you, you share together about that organization. How deep should the relationships be because we have fellowship with one another because Jesus Christ has made Himself manifest to us? How deep should that be? The purpose of Christ coming in the world and so that the church could exist. Well, I'm going, to read, I'm going to quote to you. I saw a great quote from the organization of Nine Marks from Mark Deaver, if you know who he is. The tagline on the article this, and it was a good article, was this. Church membership is not primarily for recruiting volunteers to make ministries run better. Church membership, fellowship, is a commitment to help one another get to heaven. I love that. Are we committed to getting one another to heaven? Are we committed to reminding each other of the truth that the Word was made flesh? That God manifested Himself to us? And not to deviate from that truth, to hold fast to that which we've seen and heard? Maybe we didn't see Jesus, we haven't seen Jesus, but we've certainly heard the Word of truth. John says, that which we have seen, verse 3, 
That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. If you notice, that word indeed is underlined. It is such an important word. Because we can think we have fellowship. We're the church and we do this and that. No, we can't have anything unless indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That word indeed is, is what in Greek is called a logical connective. A logical connective. It makes perfect sense. It's logical. It says it right there in the word. It's logical. A logical connective. That I cannot have fellowship with you, you cannot have fellowship with me, unless you and I have fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Without that, we're just a club. We're just hanging out together. We have nothing. Nothing of any eternal value or of eternal worth whatsoever. Unless, indeed... Our fellowship, listen again to what he says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Notice it's exclusive. Our fellowship is what's real. We want you to have fellowship with us. We are not compromising to you in any way, shape, or form. You have to transform to the revealed Word of God. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. David Jackman, in his commentary, writes it this way. There is no other way into genuine membership of the body of Christ, that is fellowship, into true fellowship with God, than by believing the apostolic testimony. You cannot know God without knowing Christ. You cannot know fellowship without receiving the truth. All spiritual unity is therefore grounded in the gospel. What binds us together? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? John, P, uh, John, Jesus in his high priestly prayer says this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you know Jesus Christ? We have to remind ourselves. We have to ask ourselves, do I know Jesus Christ? Do I know this truth? Not in a way of always doubting myself, but making sure that I'm keeping myself in the truth. Am I keeping myself in the truth of Jesus Christ? Is He the focus? Is He primary to me? Is that your struggle? Because it certainly is my struggle. I hope I'm not in this alone. No wonder we need the church to encourage one another. Hey, pastor, listen, that's not, you're getting off a little bit here. Hey, someone, you know, you're getting off. Hey, let's get back to the, let's get back to what it is all about. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about having fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. David Jackman again says this, The truth of Scripture is the only adequate foundation for fellowship. The basis of all lasting koinonia must be the theological realities of what God has done in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me read that to you again because it is just so true. The truth of the Scriptures is the only adequate foundation for fellowship. The basis of all lasting koinonia, fellowship, 
must be the theological realities of what God has done in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. Loved ones, I'm telling you the truth. Many churches are saying this is, this, this is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. I, I was shocked. Not, you know, actually, I, sadly, I was not shocked. Just this morning, I watched a video from Andy Stanley. I can't tell you how much to avoid that false prophet who is a waterless cloud. And unless he repents, outer darkness awaits him. He is beginning a new series at his church about a new starting point. A new starting point. And the new starting point is not, well, the Bible says. He goes, that's not enough. He's going to teach his church that the Bible is not enough. The Bible is more than enough. The revealed Word of God. This, for us, is the flesh. The, 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 uh, uh, Jesus made manifest. This is what this is for us. This is more than enough. This is the basis of all of our fellowship is on this truth. And John, later on in his gospel, will say, those who reject that, they went out from us because they were not of us. They didn't want to believe that truth, so they went out from us. You cannot have fellowship with God and be disconnected from His church, cannot be disconnected from His word. We used to sing a song in the 80s. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together, bind us together in love. And you can just picture myself in the 80s singing, you know, waving back and forth in the truth. And some, you know, I want this deep binding together, Lord. We'd sing, there is only one God, there is only one King, there is only one body. That is why we sing. Yes, Lord, bind us together. Bind us together by deeply believing the truths of your revealed word, of your flesh made manifest to us. You cannot have true fellowship with God and be disconnected from his church and from his word. The truth of the scripture is the only adequate foundation for fellowship. The basis of all lasting koinonia must be the theological realities of what God has done in and through his son, Jesus Christ. It is in believing those things is how you have fellowship with the father and with his son. We come to a local place. We're gathered here today in one building. Again, we could, we could next week just go sit in McDonald's and have church, right? It's not about, this is just where God has us to gather. And it is so important that we come together to the hearing of the word. But I'm going to ask us a question. What if you can't physically come to church? Are you still part of the body of Christ? This is where God has convicted me because we have many who are shut-ins. On a pastoral level, I have failed them. Reaching out, forgetting about them. 
how often we can forget about somebody if we don't see them for a while. Are we showing ourselves to be the body if we forget people? Well, people might want to leave. They want to leave, and they say, I don't want to be part of this, I don't believe this, I don't like this, I was offended by that, whatever. You try to reason with them, you try to draw them back in, in love and grace, they don't want to. They went out from us because they were not of us. And I don't mean that like it's a, ah, the heck with you, bye-bye. No, with a broken heart. I want to challenge us, and I want you to challenge me. Hey, did you call those people this week? Did you call those shut-ins? And I want you to call them too. Find out who they are. And to the shut-ins who are watching, you also have the responsibility to call us. What if we made a point of talking to people throughout the week? Outside of Bible study, outside of community group, and I would encourage you to come to all of those things. Understand what I'm saying? If we have real fellowship, if we really believe that our fellowship is based on the fact that God came into the world to save sinners, the reality of who God is in revealing Jesus Christ to us, that is the basis of our fellowship, of what He's given us in His Word, that the flesh was made, the, the Word was made flesh to us here in His Word. No, I was not an eyewitness. And yes, John is a great eyewitness. He's telling the truth. But how much more true is this to us? This is the Word of God. God speaking to you and to me. To all who would believe. This is His Word. What more can He say than He has already said in His Word? He can't say any more. This is all he wants us to know. And when he wants us to know more, he's going to come back and bring us to heaven and teach us more. Till then, this is all we have. And all we have is each other. All we have is the church. That's the point John was making. He says, I want you to have complete joy. He says, and I, we write these things so that our joy, John speaking of himself and whoever else he's writing from, uh, our joy may be complete. John, you're so selfish. It's all about your joy, isn't it? Well, there's some problems with the translation there. Is it really our joy or your joy? Our joy, your joy? I think it's both. I think John's what's saying is, listen, if we don't come into the... How's, how do I say it? If we, if we don't really come to the realization and strive to work out and live in the fact that the only reason you and I can have fellowship is because we have fellowship with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, we don't have joy. I can't have joy. I can have temporary happiness, but I cannot have joy unless my fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, because God condescended down to me. God made himself known to me and saved me, drew me out of darkness and into his wonderful light and has placed me within a body of believers which share the same hope, which have the same hope, believe the same things. Again, David Jackman writes this. It's a little bit long, but I, uh, bear with it. He says, The conscious possession of eternal life, the daily enrichment of personal fellowship with the living God, 
the deepening awareness of oneness with all God's people everywhere, could there be any comparable recipe for fullness of joy? Such joy is quite different from human happiness. And you know that if we really are just in love with the Lord, in love with His Word, in love with the people of God, that I, because I've experienced it, I don't care where in the world you would go, if you meet genuine people of God, there is an instant connection, even if you can't speak their language. I was in the backwoods of Mali, Africa, and I had fellowship with believers I could not understand, but it was genuine fellowship, and they had it with us because we were the body of Christ believing in the truth, that they had fellowship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and so do I, and therefore we have fellowship with one another. If we didn't have that, I would have been there just doing a mercy trip, helping out with, you know, physical things, and, you know, it would have been, that would have been it. But it was so much more than that because of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, let us never forget that the the realities to which John testified and in which our faith is grounded include the death of our Savior on the cross, which opens up our pathway to joy. To the extent that we are convinced of the total sufficiency and efficacy of that sacrificial death, we shall know deep joy with no one, which no one can drain. Listen to that again. To the extent that we are convinced of the total sufficiency and efficacy of that sacrificial death, we shall know a deep joy which no one can drain, a full joy which nothing can quench. And we shall share something of John's heart as we realize that nothing is more enriching or more wonderful than helping others to the same conviction too and seeing their fellowship deepen. No wonder, John says, to make our joy complete. It is my joy. It is Len's joy. It is John's joy. It is Mike's joy to see that you grow in the faith. As John says later on, I have no greater joy than what? To know that my children are walking in the light. The truth of what God says. Our joy, our fellowship is based solely on our fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Loved ones, that is going to be the battleground. That is the battleground. Always has been the battleground for the church. You really believe what God says? You really believe that God exists? You really believe that God loved you enough to come into this world, to to become a man, to die on a cross for you and rise again for you? Is that really the truth? You really believe that? Do you live in a way that, that accords with that? The gospel is being compromised left and right. And it's not just on the issues of marriage, of sexuality, Those compromises came because they compromised on the Word of God as a whole. Ah, it's just a nice story. It's not really real. No, it is real. It is true. This is the basis of everything for us, is the revealed 
Word of God. Do you have fellowship with the Father and with His Son? And do you have fellowship with one another? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we do have fellowship because You first had fellowship with us. And we thank You, Lord God, that You've made Yourself known to us. Lord, deepen, deepen, Lord God, our fellowship with You. Deepen our fellowship with one another, Lord. Cause us to have great joy in our fellowship with you and desiring great and deeper joy in fellowship with one another so that your church would grow, so that we would stand in awe of you, so that we would be devoted to your teachings. And so, Lord God, that for your glory, you would add daily to our number those who are being saved. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen and amen. Let's stand. Let's close in a song. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless you.